The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. God's Word is the truth. Turn with me. We're going to look at a couple. You want to have your Bible ready today. Please have it ready. First Timothy, first of all, chapter 3. First Timothy, chapter 3. And Before I read this, may I make a comment? Can you hold with me standing just a moment longer here? The comment is, many speculate that there are two passages of Scripture in the Bible that were highly influential and framing for those who wrote the Apostles' Creed in the second and third century. And this is one of them. The other one is Philippians 2, where the flow of the section on Jesus Christ seems to be following Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But this, think of this as Apostles' Creed with the apostrophe in front of the S. See the apostrophe? That means that it wasn't written by the apostles, but it was written by their disciples who let you know what the apostles wrote concerning New Testament Christianity, fulfilling all of the Old Testament. That's why the apostrophe is after the S. But this one, the apostrophe would go before the S. This is Paul, the apostles, statement, a creed for a common confession at the church at Ephesus. Look at its similarities. It's smaller, but look at it. Look at verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. This is biblical Christianity. He was manifested in the flesh, do you hear that? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He was vindicated by the Spirit, the resurrection. Seen by angels, the ascension. Proclaimed among the nations, risen and filling all things. Believed on in the world, taken up in the Shekinah glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So I'm going to put you in my place. Ready? I get a question similar to this, if not this. In fact, I'm going to give you two questions that come to me with some regularity. And I want you to ask yourself, how would I answer this? Maybe this kind of question has come to you. Pastor, I was looking at the Internet. Well, we know that's infallible, don't we? I was looking at the Internet, and I'm going to send you the link. There was, there's a man who reported that he had seen Jesus. 
Jesus appeared to him. And wow, it really sounds convincing. Pastor, what do you think of this? This man, Jesus appeared to him. He gives the time. He gives what he said. He gives what he did. So, Pastor, what do you think? Or somebody comes up to you and says to you, uh, or, or maybe, by the way, it wasn't a Christian. Maybe it was an unbeliever who read that and came to you and said, hey, I just read. So what do you as a Christian think of that? How would you answer them? Don't answer out loud, please. How would you answer them? Or they come up to you and say this and ask this. So where is Jesus right now? And by the way, what's he doing? What would you answer them? Where is Jesus right now? By the way, you can see how question two affects question one, can't you? Because we have a Savior who came into this world. But before he came into this world 2,000 years ago, God is a spirit. Then he comes and takes upon himself a true human body and a true human soul, fully God and fully man. And then he bears our sin in that body on the cross. And then that body is buried and true death, power of death for three days. The soul and the body is separated. And just in fulfillment of of Psalm 16, and as Peter preached in Acts chapter 1, the body of Jesus goes to the tomb and his soul goes to Hades, as that would be the original translation of this. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead. And buried. He descended into, our translation says hell. The original in the Greek would have said Hades, that temporary place that has two dimensions the place of intermediate torment for the unbeliever and anticipation of the judgment seat and everlasting torment called the lake of fire, and the place of intermediate blessing and assurance called paradise. The one is Hades, the abyss, and the place of torment, intermediate state, and then the other is the uh, place of blessing and assurance in the presence of the Lord. If you make your bed in Sheol or Hades, behold, I am there. So Jesus goes there and he tells the criminal, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So that's where, so he descends to all that All that sin brings, even a true atoning death and a true death with the separation of the soul and the body. But he will not suffer his body to see corruption, nor will he abandon his soul into Sheol or Hades. And on the third day, soul and body is resurrected and united. He teaches 40 days and ascends back into heaven and does what? He ascends in victory. He who descended all the way to the depths of a death, an atoning death and burial and the sending of his soul to Hades, then ascends back into heaven and in coronation, in celebration, having won the victory, he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what does he do? The Bible says he has ascended to give gifts to men. When you win a victory, you have the spoils of victory. 
So the spoils of his victory at the cross are poured out to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and brings us from death into life. You're born again, who sanctifies us. You're filled with the spirit who completes the word of God. You've got the whole Bible who gives you assurance of your salvation. It is the spirit who bears witness with our spirit, who will bring you forth to glory as he will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And I'll be with you by my spirit until the end of the age. So he's giving these gifts to men. And then he is what? Filling all things. He is interceding for us at the right hand of the father. He now intercedes for us. So in other words, any of you sinned yesterday? I won't even ask about today. Yesterday? Anybody sinned yesterday? Please don't say no. Please don't say no. Well, when we sin, what does the Bible call us to do? Confess. Own it. Here's what, Jesus, here's what we're told. If we confess our sins, he, at the right hand of the Father, is faithful to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? That's where he is. He is not only there to send forth the spirit. He is there to hear our prayers and mediate for us. And he appears there on our behalf. And when you confess, he brings it to the father. Well, Lord, here's Harry again on Highway 280. Confessing his sins. Let's give him another chance. No, no. That's not what he does. Here is your son confessing his sins. Father, forgive him. I paid for it. Faithful and just to forgive us. These wounds plead. These wounds received at Calvary plead. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. And that's where he is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Not inactive. Not inactive. He is active. When he came into the world, he came to accomplish our redemption. He finished it. When he said Tetelestai at the cross, it is finished. It was done. Our sins had been taken away from us and his righteousness had been given to us. We were cleansed by his blood, clothed with his righteousness. Praise the Lord, forgiven and accepted in Jesus Christ. He had done that work for us. Now he ascends and it's not to inactivity. The one who, now watch, who finished the work of redemption is now ascended at the right hand of the Father, and he is working on the redeemed. He is bringing us from death, from sin, to himself by his Holy Spirit. He is cleansing us. He is growing us. He is perfecting us. He is training us in righteousness. He is working on us to prepare us when he comes again. That's what he is doing. He is at the right hand of the Father. But folks, that 
That's why when you, this next statement, we're now at the last statement about Jesus. The first section was on God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I exist because God made me in his power. I have fallen into sin, but God is gracious. He has given his son and his son has come into the world to save sinners. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who hear his humiliation, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried on the third day. Here comes exaltation. On the third day, he arose. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. His celebration and coronation. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And from there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is going to come again from where? From there. Where's there? At the right hand of the Father. Now you got your answer. Pastor, what do you think? This guy said Jesus appeared to him. Well, I know what I think. I'm going to pray for him. Well, don't you believe it? No. No. Hear it out right here. No, I don't. I don't believe it for three reasons. Number one, Jesus warned me that in the last days, people were going to be claiming that he's here, he's there, he's over there. And I, and I heard his warning, so I'm not going to believe it. And secondly, he tells me not to believe that because I know where he is. He's there. Glorified body, soul, Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father. He's with me by his Holy Spirit, but he's right there at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for me. And I don't know about you. I want him there to plead for me on my behalf. I need him there. Well, let me give you another. So I not only I not only say no, because I was warned about people like that in Matthew chapter 24. And I, and I, and I don't believe it because I know where Jesus is and Jesus cannot contradict himself. And then number three, I don't believe it. Um, I don't believe it because, um, because the Bible is very clear about when he will leave there. That he is there and that's where he is and I know when he will leave there. His time there has an expiration date. It has a shelf life. When will he leave there? Well, the Bible tells us when he will leave there because Jesus told us when he would leave there. Jesus said to us when he was asked, what is the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Matthew 24. He said, there's two things that have got to happen. Number one, this gospel has to be preached to all the nations. And then Peter tells us in first Peter three, that all of the elect have to be saved, which is what Jesus said, Father, all whom you've given me, I lose not one. So I'm waiting. Why? Because he's not finished his work there. Filling all things, extending his kingdom, his praise throughout all the earth, drawing his people from every tribe and nation. And when this gospel is preached to all the nations and when Jesus is called into when Jesus has brought all of his people to himself, 
then he stands up and he comes again. And then he's got another work to do. He's already done one work, our redemption. He's doing another work, calling, perfecting the redeemed. And then when he comes again, he's got a final work. And the final work is to judge the living and the dead. So let me tell you something. Whenever you preach on the Apostles' Creed, you know you're going to get emails. You know you're going to get tweets. You know you're going to get letters. You know you're going to get phone calls. You know, and all of them are going to be around three things. One phrase and two words. I I tell you that right now. I mean, I know. I got yours. One phrase, two words. Whenever you do the Apostles' Creed, you're always going to get those. One phrase, two words. What's the one phrase? Pastor, what's this descended into hell? And then you go to work on that one. What's the two words? Well, I can give you one of them. Pastor, I thought, I didn't know we were Catholics. And then comes the other one. What is this quick thing? You mean he's not going to judge slow people? My football coach would have said, Harry, you don't have to go to that judgment because you sure are quick. So, so, um, so I mean, is that what that means? No, no. Let me go back a ways. Are y'all, any of y'all old enough to remember this? A woman is expecting and the first time she feels the child moving, they, she says, Oh, I had the quickening. It's the moment Not that the life started, but it's the moment life was felt. That's just an old English word. It means alive. That's what it means. Some of you think it's just the title of a movie. (laughs) Actually, it means alive. That he's coming to judge the living. When he comes back, people are going to be living. And when he comes back, a lot of people will have died. And the land and the sea and the earth will give up the bodies of the dead. They will all be reconstituted with their soul that comes from Hades. And then the next thing they do, they stand before God and there is the judgment of the living and the dead. So here's what we know. Jesus has come and done his work. We know that he is risen on the third day. We know that he is ascended. We know right now he is sending out his spirit and his gifts of his work of redemption into our life. And he is filling all things. And when all things have been filled with the work of the spirit to accomplish the kingdom of God, then he shall come again. And that's consistent right with Acts chapter 1. Remember what the... What the uh, Remember what the angel said to the apostles? They're sitting there. Jesus goes up. He is taken up into glory. And they said to him, O men of Israel, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you've seen taken up before you in like manner, glorified body and soul, in like manner, shall come again. When will that happen? I don't know the date, but I do know when. When all of the elect from all the nations have been saved by the gospel going to all the nations, then he comes.
I want you to go with me to a passage of scripture. Would you go with me to Hebrews chapter nine, Hebrews chapter nine. And I want you to walk with me through this text. Hebrews chapter nine. And I want you to look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. All right, let's just stop there just for a moment. When Christ appeared, that's the word epiphanos. We get the word epiphany from it. It means a bright shining. When I went to Covenant College, I worked uh, Friday and Saturday nights as a security guard. And so I worked the, quote, third shift. And then um, in the morning, I tried to work out my rounds so that when the sun was coming up, I could be out in the front. Now, Covenant College faces east and out to its east. Behind it are the Cumberland Mountains and to the and to the as to the west and to the east are the Blue Ridge and the Smoky Mountains. And and then all of a sudden, I mean, it just like it burst out. The sun would be up. It was just magnificent. It was just heart thrilling. To see that sun come up. That's the word here. Glory light lit up. The glory light shines. And the darkness fades. That Christ has appeared. I'll give you another one. Another Covenant College illustration. (laughs) This is... This is the non-Chamber of Commerce advertisement. We had 29 days that we never saw the sun. You try to exist enveloped by clouds for 20. I mean, we didn't have to breathe by faith. We're just breathing what we saw the whole time. I mean, it was, it, it was just enveloped. It was depressing. I mean, I was ready to just shoot myself in the head. I mean, it was just depressing is what it was. It was overwhelming. I was done. I was despairing. And I remember at 11 o'clock one day, 20, on the 29th day, all of a sudden the clouds parted. And this sun just filled up everything. Now, never yet, Dean Cummer said, went around to every class. He said, call off class. All of you, you need it. Come out front. And we all stood out front and just stood in that sun that just had dispelled the darkness and the gloom that was coming over us. Well, that's the... That's the epiphany that Christ has come, not a high priest that can't intercede for you. He needs his own intercessor. The one who is the tabernacle has come. The one who is, according to the order of Melchizedek, the eternal priesthood has come. And he didn't come with the with blood of bulls and goats. He said, you have prepared a body for me. And he bears our sins in his body. You see, the temple and the tabernacle were there to teach us who, what, and how God could save sinners and still be holy. But in the temple and the tabernacle, which are the copies of the heavenly things... We could see how we're saved through a substitutionary sacrifice, but the who and the what couldn't do it. That's why they came back every single year. 
The priests couldn't do it. They needed their own savior and the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. But now Christ has appeared. He's the temple and he is the lamb of God that takes away our sin. And he is the scapegoat of God that takes our sins away from us. And the lamb of God who now makes satisfactory payment for us. And he is the priest who brings his own sacrifice. And he goes to Calvary and we're never going back to Calvary again. Once and for all, the sacrifice has been made by our great high priest, Jesus Christ. It's done. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it's done. Here is the work of redemption for my people. I have here saved all of my people from all of their sins for all of eternity. That's what he did. He appeared. But that's not all he's done. Would you go back with me again to that text? And I'm going to I would love to spend time in the verses in between, but I don't have time. So would you go to verse 23? Thus, it was necessary for the copies. Priesthood, sacrifices, temple, tabernacle. Those were the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. In other words, the temple was purified with the sprinkling of the blood. Baptism of blood and a baptism of water. The hyssop dipped in the blood and the water sanctified it. But now... We are sanctified by Jesus. And here's what he says. The heavenly heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to, here's your word, underline it, appear where the right hand Of the throne of God, the Father Almighty, to appear in the presence of God. Why? On our behalf. Nor was it to offer with with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has, there it is, appeared. Now watch, we just changed tenses, didn't we? He has appeared, past tense. We just saw he appears, now, present tense. Now he has appeared, past tense. He has appeared, and what does it say? It says that he has appeared um, once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment... So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will, there it is again, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So to save us, what does Jesus do? He's come from there. He comes to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus appears to save us. How many times does he appear? You say, well, here it says two times. First time, second time. No, he appears here two times. But to save you, he has to appear three times. He appears here, past tense, for the incarnation to go to the cross To redeem us from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, 
from the persuasion of sin and from the position of sin, from the power of sin that you might be born again, from the penalty of sin that you might be justified, from the persuasion of sin that you be called from sin to Christ, and from the position of sin that now you're in the family of God with God as your father. Now he appears, not here, there. Now he appears there on your behalf to save you from the practice and consequences of sin. Then he will appear to save you from the presence of sin. To bring you to himself and take you into eternity. And when he comes that time, he not only comes to bring you to himself... He will also judge the living and the dead. Why? Do you read the text? It is appointed once to die, then the judgment. Two appointments. Let me confess something. I have a calendar. And uh, there are things on my calendar I don't know. They're there. But there are two women in my life that fill my calendar. And then I kind of get up and I see what's on the calendar. And I look at it. Now, here's my confession. <laughs> there are some things when I see it on my calendar, I dread. I wanted to assure you, you're not one of them. And there's some things when I see it on my calendar, I have nothing but anticipation and joy. There's two appointments on your calendar, you don't put them in. The Lord does. There's coming a day, one day, you get up, leave the bedroom, you're not coming back. It is appointed unto men once to die. Y'all do understand that. Young people, listen to me. I know you feel like you got a silver, I know you feel like nothing can penetrate you. It is appointed unto men once to die. No man knows his time. For the believer, that appointment is not a dread. Oh, it's unknown, but it's not a dread. He'll be with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Next stop, him. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. And I have no dread there either. Can I show you why? This is my last text, and then we'll close in prayer. Would you go to Revelation chapter 20 with me? Last text. Then we'll give you the takeaway to close in prayer. Revelation chapter 20. Look with me. Um, uh, just for the sake of time again, would you go and slip all the way down to verse um, 11? Then I saw a great white throne. So stop there. So where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father, crowned in glory, interceding for us, filling the world with the work of the gospel. When all have been converted in the gospel to all the nations, he will arise and then he will come for his people and to bring judgment. That means he's going to sit on a judgment throne next. You see, folks, you, are you got the picture with me? He's appeared once for the work of redemption. He is appearing in the heavens on your behalf 
to work on the redeemed. And then he's coming again to bring his work to consummation. To bring his people to himself through the judgment seat. And to bring the judgment upon all that don't know him for all eternity. That moment is described for you right here. Here's what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, this is Second Corinthians 5. Who has to appear before the judgment seat? Everybody. For we must all appear before the judgment seat. It is universal. But you don't stand in the same places. And you're not there for the same reason. How do we know that? Keep going in the text. And there's the stand before the throne. And the books were open. Underline that. The books were open. Then, over here, is another book. It was open. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Got it? Look, there's two sets of books. Over here are the books of deeds, and over here is the book of life. Now, what happens? Well, when you're there, here's what happens. He says that then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in where? The book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. So if your name is in the book of deeds, God's judgment is rightly upon you in the eternal judgment of torment called Gehenna, the lake of fire. But if your name's in the book of life, your deeds have already been judged. Jesus did it for you. What was due to you, he took on the cross. Therefore, you're not in the book of deeds, you're in the book of life. Because he bore the penalty for your deeds. Sins of omission, commission, thought, word, and deed. He paid for all of them. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And neither death nor life can separate you from the love of God in Christ. So here's my question. I am not asking you, are you going to die? You will. If Jesus doesn't come back first. And then you'll be before the judgment seat. I love you too much not to tell you that. Those are two appointments that have been written for you. You'll keep them. But if you're in the book of life, they are not appointments of dread. But if you're not in the book of life, you need to dread it. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, having rejected His love for you and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. It is a terrifying thing. And I plead with you. Come to him who appeared for you.
the cross. And now before the Father. And one day, He'll come for you. To bring you to Himself. Why would you die? Here's your takeaway. It's simply this. Christ is our Redeemer makes three appearances on our behalf to save us from our sins. Appearance number one, done. You can call that past grace. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, suffered, crucified, dead, and buried to save you from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the position of sin, and the persuasion of sin. He now appears for you on your behalf to save you from the practice of sin and the consequences of sin. His third appearance is yet to happen. It's interesting, isn't it? We've gone through the full paragraph on affirming who Christ is and what he has done. The last two statements have been interesting. Everything we have talked about, about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed, is done. Except sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what he's now doing. And he's coming from there to judge the living and the dead. That's what he will do. And just as sure as these others have been done, so those will be done. Now, the question is, are you in the book of life and do you know him? And is he yours and are your and are you his? Christ has appeared past tense here to save you from your sins. Christ now appears to intercede for you to bring you from your sins to himself. Christ will yet appear to bring you to himself and to bring judgment. The first time he appeared He appeared to bear our judgment. The next time he appears, he will come to bring judgment. The first time he appeared, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. The next time he appears, he'll destroy sin, death, hell, and the grave. Two appearances here, one appearance there. But it's one Christ who appears for you. He is coming, but I've got news for you. I've got good news for you. He's not only coming to judge the living and the dead. He's already come so that you can be written in the book of life. Well, pastor, is anything else going to happen at the judge? Oh, yeah. We'll have a stewardship judgment, which is why you want to pay close attention to my series on stewardship this fall. We have a stewardship judgment which will determine our calling and resources to worship God in the new heavens and the new earth. That's called the rewards of walking as stewards in the Lord. But we don't appear to determine whether our deeds get us into the new heavens and the new earth or send us to hell. That's been taken care of if you're in Christ and Christ is in you. You're in the book of life. And none in the book of life end up in Gehenna. But none who are not in the book of life will enter the new heavens and the new earth. So there's an appointment I long for you to anticipate with joy because you know Christ 
who appeared for you. Do any of you get invitations for benefits? You know, come to this benefit. <laughs> of course, you, you know what's going to happen. But come to this benefit. And you try to imagine, do I want to go to this benefit or not? Well, many times to determine the worthiness of the benefit to which you have been invited, you'll take a look at who is going to make their appearance at the benefit. Who is the one that's going to make their appearance at the benefit? And then from that, you'll have a determination. Is that you'll make a determination of the worthiness of that benefit? Well, here's what I want you to know today. If you're in Christ, Christ is now making his appearance for your benefit in heaven right now. He is making the benefit appearance on your behalf. And he has made you worthy. The one who now intercedes for you. And he will come again. To bring you to himself. And to establish the judgment. Be in the book of life on that day. May your name be there because he is your life. Let's pray. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. I don't know anything else to tell you other than the good news. That there is a book of life. And that Christ has appeared and done the work so your name can be written in it. And Christ now appears before the Father. For those whom he saved at the cross and who have put their trust in him alone. It is a trustworthy statement. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He's finished that work. Now he's working on saved sinners. And when he is finished. Bringing all of him, his people to himself from all the nations, he'll come again and then comes the judgment. My dear, dear friend, I invite you to him who appeared on your benefit at the cross. He appeared, past tense, for you, sinners, to be saved at the cross. He appears now to plead Your salvation because of what he did at the cross. He appears now in the heavens for your benefit. And he will come again. I have only one question. Have you acknowledged you're a sinner and have you fled to him who came to appear for you? Who does and will appear for you? Have you come to him? I don't know when he's coming again, but I do know he has come and I do know he is appearing right now.
before the throne of God. What I don't know is, have you come to him? And if you have, would you join me right now as I pray this closing prayer that God would send us looking for his appearance, yet looking for the lost who are yet to be brought to him. We wait for him, but we seek the lost. That when he comes, they will be found in the book of life. What about your children, parents? There's so many things we're concerned about. Where is their name written? The book of deeds or the book of life? Father, thank you so much for being here today with us and in this word. Thank you for the clarity of the writers of this creed who give us the majesty of the Christ who appeared to save us, who appears to intercede for us, and from there shall come again. Father, may Christ be their life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.